When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Ireland have progressed from the pool of death with four wins from four, three bonus points and a hell of a lot of momentum. Saturday night against Scotland was good. New Zealand in the Stade de France next Saturday promises to be, well, I don't even know. Something else entirely. It's Monday's Second Captain's Podcast. I'm here. Ken is here. Hello, Ken. Hello, Karen. How are you? And Simon is here. Murph, how are you? I'm very good. These Ken, are, ex- these are exciting go? days. Uh, very well, Simon. Did you enjoy yourself on Saturday night? I had a great time. Oh, it's very energising <laughs> following the Ireland team at the moment <laughs> we'll be talking to Shane Horgan Jerry Thornley and Kiwi friend of the show Scotty Stevenson in just a few minutes Simon but yes Ken has already referenced it you were there how bloody incredible was that atmosphere I have been getting a lot of messages from a lot of people that don't attend a lot of rugby games like on Sundays going oh sorry yeah I'm just on the way back from Paris it's, it was unbelievable Yeah, uh, the atmosphere did look ridiculous I did say that to you after the Bordeaux game that I was meeting a lot of people you know from Cavan yeah. and Leash and Cork and Kerry and a few other places that you would just wouldn't normally meet at rugby games and they were a little bit younger and some of them were sort of travelling or lived in Europe some were from Brussels and I met people yeah. from Zurich and London and Paris and all the rest so it was, it was more of a mix of people way more of a mix of people than you'd normally get and then I think it's built as each game has gone on. So I think the fa- the players were a little bit shocked back in Bordeaux in the first game after Romania, just how many fans were there, just how much noise they made, how joyous it was, how much they sung. Yeah. Like they sing far more than any game I've ever been at, uh, which is quite significant. It's a, it's a lovely thing to be at. And then they do the lap of honour and then the team are playing well and they're playing beautiful rugby. And then it built in the second game, third game. And by this game, because we won it early, so people were nervous in yeah. advance, but they turned up in even bigger numbers of 60,000 this time. So they got to sort of relax and enjoy it uh, more than the South Africa game, which was kind of... So tense. Uh, so tense. Yeah. Like, I, I, I was, can imagine was, no one enjoying moments that game. <laughs> in the South Africa game. Like it, it might have been a turnover or South Africa knocked the ball on and people go bananas. Yeah. Uh, but then back to being nervous, whereas the, South Af- or the Scotland game was more... 
after 10 minutes we've won this let's enjoy this this is so much fun this this whole World Cup so far has been great <laughs> yeah we'll be looking forward to our World Cup quarterfinal against New Zealand all week on the World Service so why don't you go to secondcaptains.com forward slash join and for just 5 euro a month plus VAT you'll be able to hear all 6 shows every week ad free and without interruption we think this month of all months we might have something to talk about I mean it's incredible something incredible I mean, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of people talk to me Obviously, about taking a victory lap over the Scots, Simon, mm. and of course, I would never do, you. I would never do that. Uh, the lads are back in the sheds; they're hurting. Uh, I would never dance on their sporting graves. I will say this though, Simon, they were fucking pathetic on Saturday night. Yeah, like the Ollie Smith yellow card, what followed, and the Irish try that followed two minutes later, or whatever. It's I've literally never watched a sporting team that I've less respect for. <laughs> Like, I just couldn't believe it. You're 26 points down. You get a yellow card for, like, a petulant, like, trip. And they should have got a second yellow card because yeah. uh, Schumann should have gone for for the, the, Sheehan, the, yeah, over the WWE hoardings. move. Yeah. Um, you're 26 points down and you're, like, getting involved with Peter O'Mahony and smiling at Peter O'Mahony trying to, like, get a reaction out of him. Mm. Like, just look at the scoreboard, lads. I mean, I just, I honestly couldn't believe... What those lads were up to. They're, I mean, they're, they're the strangest sports team I've ever seen. Scotland are a disgrace to world sport. You mean Scotland rugby, of course. Of course. Because there was some big Scottish performances over the weekend. <laughs> well, we'll, not in Paris. We'll, we'll get to the Scotsman in Old Trafford in due course, Ken, I'm sure. But yeah, I, I just, I, like, just, that entire... How that, do you explain the rot of Scottish rugby? I actually don't know. I don't know. It's like the... I mean, and you know, like, what's what what's really bad is that when this generation of players go, like their under twenties teams have just oh, been getting, getting like trust, hammered, yeah. like genuinely relegated like, out of the top tier of rugby. Yeah. yeah, it is. It does seem to be a kind of a general pattern across the world of rugby, doesn't it? With with one or two exceptions. Yeah, I mean, I think we've found this run pretty well, considering English rugby, Welsh rugby, Argentinian rugby, and Australian rugby are all worse now than they've been at any time. And possibly New Zealand, even though New Zealand are really good. New Zealand have been worse than at any time. In the last 15 years. I mean, well, New Zealand, like, didn't win a World Cup for 20 years. You know, up until 2007. You know, I mean, they, 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 I remember their team in 1995 that didn't win the World Cup and they were pretty good. Yeah, they were, well, they were pretty good. It's true. But, uh, you know, and they could end up winning the World Cup this time. I'm not saying that New Zealand are terrible. I'm just saying New Zealand are worse now than they've been in 15 years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Would that be correct, though? Uh, yeah, this is. Uh, yeah, it's the most the most vulnerable. vulnerable. The, yeah. wor- the world of yeah, rugby yeah. just reminds me of a of like a house party. That's it's now like five seven forty five a.m. <laughs> and Ireland are just still there buzzing on a couch. Yeah, there's one guy you know, dropped a little later than the rest. Of drinking each- the, uh, the whole place is just strewn with bodies. Yeah, and the host is France, Vichy France. Yeah. And they're Ireland, of, South Africa, <laughs> and France are still like absolutely well, Africa, ripping it up. South Africa went to the bathroom a while ago. And <laughs> Came back they, they may still be awake, <laughs> but like it looks as though we're the, um, the kings of the party. Yeah. Well, yeah. so you're saying the only reason we're going to win this World Cup is because everybody else has gotten worse. We've well, no, we've beaten them all into submission. So really, you know, the, sport, the sport has collapsed, and we're the last man standing. <laughs> is, is what I'm saying. You know, maybe we're. You know, it's it's just always our fate to just always be a little bit or maybe late, this little is bit late your to things. Ancient Irish 
mentality of oh we're doing well at this thing it mustn't be that we're great it's that others have gotten worse you can't possibly feel good about what well, we've done well no I'm not saying I'm, I mean I'm not saying others have gotten worse I'm looking at I'm, I'm listening to Rob Carney explain yeah. to me why Australia has forsaken the sport mm. of rugby I'm looking at our record against New Zealand since, since 2016 I mean 100 plus years of zero and then how many times have we beaten them like 15 five, times five in the last eight, five years five and eight games yeah you know, over five. That's I'm not, like I mean, the English Guinness Premiership. All I ever read about it is another of the clubs whose names I've heard of has has gone bust and been liquidated. It's, it's literally like the League of Ireland. Hold you know, on, it's like it's yeah. like what what English rugby is like the League of Ireland financially. What like I mean, and and I don't mean I don't mean any disrespect to the League of Ireland. I'm I'm bandying about the Brand reputation. Sure I'm band, bandying about the League of Ireland's you know financially struggling reputation amassed over many years. You know, nothing. Don't mean to say anything about the league right now. Mm. Maybe it's in a better place. It's, than it's interesting. Rugby. It's interesting. The constituency to whom you're now groveling, uh, having like, <laughs> hey, like not, five minutes of attacking I'm, rugby, and then I'm one off the cuff from yeah, the league right. Like, can I just actually? Sorry, it's uh, not, No, I just. I want to. I want to know. The, no, 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 no. It's not groveling in any way to the league Ireland to to be clear that you don't mean to compare them seriously to. English Okay, rugby. I think we've heard your fourth through eighth apologies to the League of dictionary Ireland fans. D- dictionary definition of league that's fallen apart. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's that's a, you know, wasps, wasps, Saracens. I mean, these are names of the past, right? These these things don't exist anymore. Do Sorry, Saracens. They're still going. Saracens won the, won the league last year. Saris. Uh, well, You're thinking of the Jersey Reds, yeah? The, who, who, it, wasps? Wasps are gone. Were they? Yeah. They, they, they literally don't exist anymore. London Irish? London, London Irish. Worcester. I mean, London Irish were, were, you know, one of the only teams I'd heard of when I was much younger. And they, and they don't even exist anymore. Like, this, this is kind of mad. Like, Cork City still exists. Well, new entity, but... Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. And, and Wales, I don't, I don't know. I mean, well, what's been going on with Wales? Uh, pro- probable winners of it, the World Cup in uh, 2023, let's be honest. Italy, if you told me Wales had won the World Cup, no, I'd be like, well... Even Japan. Yeah, that'd been, be like them. Even Japan, you know, Fiji lose to Portugal. Portugal, I suppose, are are a good news story. Mm. The great, it, listen, it's all leveling off, and yeah. it's good news for Ireland. And it's good news what, for Portugal. Certainly, That's what people what want saying. to hear this week is yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the following countries are screwed. <laughs> 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 yes, in any case, uh, Simon, mm. you talked to a few of our Irish heroes after the game. Um, yeah. yeah, you were over there. You're at the press conference after Andy Farrell, yeah. Caelan Doris. Ours as well, yeah. But we were, you know, the Irish attack has been very good for a while and it's sort of been our superpower. And we've had Shane Horgan quite a few times over the years say, yeah, but our defence isn't what, say, South Africa, France, even England and Wales mm. defences have been at times. Whereas in this World Cup, I feel like it's the most improved part of our game. And he was talking about after sort of 10 minutes, the turnover, Scotland had been attacking for the previous, basically since we scored our try. And then there was a turnover in our own 22. Farrell went absolutely nuts at the time. He gave mm. a fist pump that was even bigger than it was for the tries that we scored in the corner. But uh, he was talking about the, the significance of that turnover and sort of what it means to a team. And it's a, it's a sickening blow when, you've, when you're actually attacking really well and, and we was able to keep them out and get down the other end of the field and all of a sudden, you know, another seven points on, on, on the board. It's, it's a tough one to take, but that's, that's what top-level rugby has to be all about and it's something that we've been uh, always striving for. Um, and the first half performance, um, again, not being perfect, but that's, that's, that's perfect as well, you know, that we was able to... 
um, just roll with whatever was being thrown and absorb it and uh, and come back and uh, and and strike at, strike at the right time. So it was very pleasing. Andy, do you feel as if the defence has improved at this World Cup, even since the Six Nations? And if so, what's been the difference? Um, I, I definitely think it has, um, because of the time that we spent together. We, we, you know, when we're preparing for uh, a normal competition, whether it be the Autumn Series or the, or the Six Nations, we have five sessions before we get into it, and you know, our, our, our defence has always been strong. But when you spend, say, you know, 15, 16 weeks together, you know, you would expect every part of your game to get better, um, and it certainly has to. Uh, keep doing that to, to, to keep progressing in this competition. Uh, you know, it's no secret. Everyone everyone says it all over the world that it's, it's defenses that wins um, that wins World Cups, and it certainly won us the first half uh, uh, this week. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, that, like that idea that um, it's ju- it's literally just time spent with the team. I mean, fifteen or sixteen weeks. That's how long they've been together mm. for this. I mean, that's. Ba- I mean, when it comes to something as complicated as a rugby union defensive system, yeah, that's about to make it like a gigantic difference. Yeah, and obviously Farrell was a defence coach and has produced some of the great defensive performances for the Lions and for Ireland, and as an assistant coach with Schmidt over the years. But Easterby is kind of the least talked about of the coaches. We talk a lot about O'Connell. Um, you know, we talk about Cash, we talk obviously a lot about Farrell, but Easter B is the least vibey of them. You know, he doesn't mm. give you anything at press conferences, not even, a, a, not even a smile, yeah, yeah, to a yeah, ridiculous yeah. degree. But um, you'd have to say he sort of brought us from fifth or sixth best defence in the world to, I think it's as good as South Africa and France now. It certainly has mm. been at this World Cup. New Zealand's a new sort of threat. They've got greater pace than any other team in the world. They've got Will Jordan, they've got Yuani at outside centre. Um, threats all over the park so it's a different sort of challenge but I think if, if our defence stays at that level our attack will, will, will score tries mm. Well the man with the highest tackle count I think on yeah. Saturday night was Caelan Doris Yeah he kind of typifies it a little bit in that again he came through as a brilliant carrier got a sidestep can pass can do all the things that the modern smart Irish forward can do but in the mix zone afterwards to be honest the chat had already moved on to New Zealand yeah. both the players and the journos uh, and I just asked Doris about the prospect of facing New Zealand on Saturday. Yeah, massive week ahead of us, uh, hugely exciting. Probably the biggest match this group of us have faced. Um, being in the quarterfinal, playing against New Zealand, um, they're obviously playing good rugby at the minute. We've seen what they've done against Lice Fiddley and close one against France as well. So yeah, it's an exciting week to be a part of and looking forward to getting stuck in. Do nerves actually increase for a quarterfinal or is a World Cup game just a World Cup game? Um, I think you kind of push the nerves and talk about how big a game it is early in the week and then as the week goes on you sort of go back to basics and trust in ourselves as a team ourselves as individuals um, but kind of maximising our preparation early in the week by sort of respecting the opposition and how big a game it's going to be but yeah it's a balance of both Have you got to watch them yet in this World Cup? <clears throat> um, bits not full games but yeah Bits saw most of the game against Italy and they look very impressive um, they've probably gone through a little bit of a development phase over the last couple of years but seem to be coming out the other side of it now and playing very good stuff 
we were talking to Andy Farrell in the presser there and he was saying he thinks actually your defence has improved in this World Cup even from the Six Nations does it, does it feel like that on the pitch? Yeah we spoke about that at the start of uh, the pre-season now we felt we weren't quite on it during the Six Nations even though we didn't concede too many tries that there was another level in us so throughout the pre-season we worked quite a bit on that and it seems to be going to fruition a little bit I think you can go up another level there's always room for improvement but pleasing to keep them to just the two tries yeah, one of the things we need to remember about fellows like Caelan Doris when you talk to them about nerves of World Cup quarterfinals and stuff like that. Like, I read somewhere today that his first World Cup memory is the 2015 game against Argentina. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, well, like, that, that's the, the game that, like, sticks out in his head. Game? The 2015 World Cup, the game me and you were at. That, that's his in first World Cup memory. Yeah, that, that's the game Argentina. that sticks out for him as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... But he was 17. Yeah, well, I mean, people take, rug- take up rugby late. I mean, the man was born in Mayo. You know what I mean? I'm, like, you know, he wasn't born with a rugby ball in his hand, you know? So, I mean, like, all of this thing that, like, you know, the world, the rugby world, quarter, like, the quarterfinal, you know, that old, yeah, that whole yeah. thing is perhaps bigger for grizzled veterans of World Cup quarterfinals like Ken and myself, and yeah. to a lesser extent, you, Simon, uh, than, it, than it is for these players. You, know, so we you still did that get to see two horrendous performances in World Cup quarterfinals. Oh, yeah, but I mean, that's just two. Yeah. Brian <laughs> I feel like, well, what have we seen? You know? Well, 1991. Yeah. That's what we've seen. Brian, Robins, Brian, Brian Robinson. I, was, I looked him up after we talked about him last. Yeah. yeah. Flying over the line against, it was Zimbabwe. <laughs> for, his, for his four tries. <laughs> Still remember the picture of him in the paper. Okay. He'd done one of those big dives, you know, where he, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's a bit of a show off. Man, yeah, it's, it's, oh, yeah. it's Zimbabwe, mate. I thought, well, put your top back out, Robinson. <laughs> it's just Zimbabwe. <laughs> Still record holder for the most tries scored in a match by an Ireland player, you know. Ah, your ability to remember daft tidbits of information about Irish rugby now means that every time we talk rugby with you, Ken, you'll end up referencing Brian Robinson. So we've got that to look forward to. Anyway, Saturday night was epic. Here are some of the highlights, as described by a possibly inebriated Scotland fan and Miles Harrison on ITV. Just, just on Ireland, is it, they're a pretty handy team, aren't they? Ireland, they know how to flick it about. They can, they can flick the pill. They can flick the pill. I love Ireland. They're a great team to watch. It's, it's, a, it's a blizzard when they're out there. Fire on the pill, ruin the corner. It's a blizzard. It's a blizzard. Right. Ring Rose tries to cut through and does. Oh, what a start. Got support from Hanson and Lowe. What a start. They can take all these scenarios. All the permutations, and they can rip them up. Right, well, we were all extremely nervous last week, all very jittery, but Shane Horgan told us to stay calm, and nothing calms the nerves like a try after 63 seconds. Let's face it, Shane, how are you today? I, I can't remember saying that, did I? I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't I actually, take my own advice. No, I, no, I mean, certain. you were obviously going through a lot of emotions, but you did at least pass the message on. We have Jerry Thorny of the Irish Times and our man in New Zealand, friend of the show, Scotty Stevenson, on the line too. Lads, how are we getting on? Oh, good, thanks. Good to see us. Yeah. Uh, how good was this Irish performance, Shane? Gregor Townsend said he's never seen Ireland play better, which is possibly <laughs> a little self-serving, obviously. But Chris yeah, Ashton yeah. said something similar on the BBC. This was really very clinical by Ireland. Yeah, I uh, yeah I did read some of Gregor's uh, <laughs> quotes. And I, I well, think, we've never seen a rugby team play like this. Yes, there's nobody could have competed with them in any way, and we didn't. Uh, we were just blown away by uh, an unstoppable team. Um, Ireland were very good. Listen, trying the first minute helps, doesn't it? Um, 
you know, so many elements of Ireland's performance were really excellent. Um, what was instructive to me was the try after a minute. Andy Farrell jumps up and gives it the fist pump. But the rest of the coaching staff, I don't know how they did it, remained very calm all sat down and considered only a minute in. Ten minutes later, Ireland um, expel uh, Scotland from their 22 after about a 10-minute, uh, I'd say it was nearly 10-minute defensive um, uh, set um, where they felt sort of comfortable throughout. And the whole of the coaching ticket jumped up and started fist pumping. And that was kind of, yeah really instructive to where the mindset is and what's important for Ireland and where they see themselves in the future but um loads of really good things for Ireland was it Ireland's best performance ever no um I've seen them play better I've seen this team play better I think they can play better I think they'll need to play better against um uh, New Zealand um Scotland were very poor across the board I know we made them look poor but they were also poor so let's not kid ourselves on that um, but did everything that we needed to do and and super positive, super positive position to be in. Was this the sharpest we've looked since the France game in the Six Nations, do you think? Not a million miles off, yeah. I think that's not that's not bad. We haven't looked as sharp. Uh, mind you, listen, the performance against South, South Africa what isn't to be scoffed at. A different type of game. And, you know, we spoke uh, earlier on the tournament about you know, only not always being able to implement your game plan and dominate a team and, and it going 100% your way and the opposition acquiescing. So that didn't happen in South Africa and yet we got the result. It felt a little bit more like that against Scotland. So you know, a different type of, of performance. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of the stuff that we did clicked. Um, our our multi-phase looks so good. Um, like our, the, the complexity of our a little engagements either off um set piece or multi-phase where there was option after option after option looked really good we broke them down directly we had line breaks our offloading game is was phenomenal and that is maybe the final piece in the jigsaw for ireland because you know we've been trying to play these complex plays for quite a while and, and playing them and pulling the opposition out of uh, position and you know if we made a clean break break brilliant but if we didn't maybe we had to recycle and it just made things more difficult we're now seeing the addition of an offloading game which is phenomenal and i think that second try the offloading from 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 i think three players is really really impressive so yeah i'm you know i'm I'm definitely calmer again and i'm calmer this this team is making me calmer after every performance and as the stakes um um, rise it should be the other way around but they are I think doing something quite remarkable Jerry can we talk about just how happy and joyous everything has been at this World Cup what will come yeah. will come against New Zealand but between the fans the players the laps of honour the songs the stadium DJs it's such a buzz to be at this World Cup to be watching Ireland yeah couldn't agree more I've never known a buzz quite like it with an Irish team abroad it's uh, it's the sheer volume and level of support not only do you wonder how they get the money to do this for 50,000, 60,000 Irish people to be in Stade de France to, on a Saturday night twice already with the promise of that this to happen again next Saturday. How do they procure the bloody tickets? Like, it's phenomenal. And as well, because it's so different from EV, they, they, they are seated a good hour before kickoff, most of them. Um, they, they do the build-up very well in the Stade de France. 
the fans are encouraged to shout out and roar the names of the of the players, and it's always noticeable how Johnny Sexton gets the particularly the loudest roar um, from the Irish fans. It's great to hear. The build up is sensational. It, I was half worried about this game all week because you know it looked like a banana skin and Ireland had to win. It was unthinkable, unfathomable, as I wrote that Scott that the Scotland might at the end. The greatest Irish teams work up ever in the pool stages. It just seemed unconscionable. And then I thought about it and I heard there was 50,000 people coming. And I, I thought about the two-week build-up to this game. And I thought about the Scots saying, Blair Keenan said, we're going to end this run of Ireland's. And I thought, oh, and then Peter O'Malley's 100 cap as well. And how much they want to do it for Peter. And perhaps most of all, how much these two sides seem to dislike each other. And it goes, you know, it goes to provincial rivalries. And then you get it with the home atmosphere like that. It's just extraordinary. Like within the first minute, the fields of Athen Rye is already up, and then it's it has to stop for cheers because Ireland have scored a try, and then they're very connected to the game. They're very engaged with the game, and not only are they sitting in the fields and chanting Ireland, but they're also when there's a defensive set, they get they increase in volume. So they cheer and celebrate that. 18-phase defensive set from the third time the Scots went to the corner. As much as the coaches' box did, it's a very significant moment match. To be honest, because of the home advantage as well, it felt like the game was over after 15 minutes after that defensive set. It was. It reminded me. I thought of that. Was subsequently I thought of this. Like it was almost like Ali's rope a dope with Fraser in Zaire. You know, is that all you've got, George? They were relishing this defensive set so much. They said, "Come on, keep throwing, keep throwing." Is that all you've got, Scotland? And then bang, bang, bang. Three tries in 15 minutes. Game over. It was, and it was like. The, the precision of the attacking game that Shane talks about, the connection in defence, the work rate for each other, the bouncing to the feet, the work rate of the tight five, Andrew Porter, tight Furlong, Dan Sheen putting in those tackles, the brilliant balance of the back row with Omani stealing lineouts and making decisions you can be sure in pitch and Van der Fleer, classic seven, had such a huge game and then Taylor Doris, I went, when I watched the South Africa game again, I thought maybe he should have been match, man of the match actually, I think he could have been this game too, he's just, his form, his counter-rucking, his big defensive hits, 22 tackles, his big carries, always carrying over the over the contact, Bundiaki, 34 metres, 32 of them beyond contact, like I've got, everybody's playing to their strengths, the system and most of all the attack is just it's a thing of beauty, the way they can overpower the Scots as if on a point of principle, look, we can do this to you as well with Ian Henderson dry because they do have more powerful ball carriers, particularly up front, or the precision of that attacking game that, that Shane talked about, playing in amongst the Scottish defence, on the game line, in amongst them, short passes, longer passes, great and flooding channels. Like, in, if the truth be told, it could have been more. It was that complete a victory. And that would be good that they've left they've left other chances behind. And of course, they'll be slightly irritated at conceding two tries, albeit when the game was long since over. Yeah, the same feel exactly. This was over after 10 minutes. And I was immediately yeah. scanning the field after every tackle, every rook, every maul and going, is anybody down? Is anybody injured? I was just obsessed from that <laughs> point on what was going to happen. But Scotty, we spoke to you before the World Cup started and you said, you Irish guys, you got to believe in yourselves a little more. Well, i got to say, I'm starting to believe now having watched this <laughs> Ireland team play four amazing games in a row. And, and the fans, they're a big factor in this because before the World Cup, you know, there was a talk, this is a French home World Cup and um, we obviously bid for this one. We had a sort of a realistic shot at hosting the World Cup but actually I feel like this is better than us hosting it because we don't have the pressure that England and New Zealand had when they hosted but we get this advantage of what I think are better fans away from home Irish people are brilliant away from home Uh, we love attending events and we're sort of seeing all the best of what Irish fan culture is in this World Cup Yeah well you're likeable uh, which is a great start <laughs> for any traveling bunch of fans. Um, you know, and I, I, Jerry's covered the last match beautifully, as he always does uh, in his writing. Um, 
But look, there is there is a sense here about this Irish side that there is some destiny. There is some destiny owed, and, and Shane will know this. Um, Shane's been a part of some great Irish teams over the years. But this team, for me, has managed to do something that not many rugby teams have managed to do in the past. And I, I would put the All Blacks in the same category. Uh, this Irish team plays rugby league. And what I mean by that is they play zonal rugby. There is no doubt in my mind that the only way, the only way to get through Ireland is around Ireland, and they make that nine impossible. A rugby field is anywhere between 65 and 70 metres wide. Ireland don't let you have the 15 metres on either side of the field. They take you down inside that central 40 metres, and every team that tries to go wide on them gets bluffed. Scotland tried to go wide numerous times, and in fact, those last tries they scored was when they went wide on Ireland on a tiring Irish side. Uh, you've got to go wide on this Irish side early if you can because they funnel you into the centre of the park. They double-team you at the breakdown. They double-team the tackles. They jackal better than any other team in world rugby right now. Uh, they turn over ball at will. Uh, as Jerry mentioned, their, their front five ball running team is the best in the business. And then when they make those turnovers, when they set up to attack, they're running league plays. Jamison Gibson Park is essentially a dummy half. Johnny Sexton is running like a halfback would in rugby league. He's running the plays. And everyone knows exactly what they need to do at every point in the attack, whether that's off transition or whether that's strike off set piece. It is a phenomenally structured rugby team and they are such a rarity in a game that is so much more dynamic uh, perhaps than rugby league in terms of attacking both sides of the field defending both sides of the field rugby league is a zone game rugby union wasn't designed to be a zone game and yet ireland play it exactly like a zone game and they to a man are so clear on what each and every responsibility in the team is that it is just formidable to watch them get organised, get set up, and then to score points. And they do it off the back, as has been mentioned already, of some magnificent defence. But their attacking structures are straight out of the training field. They are so well drilled in what they are trying to do. And it's rare to see 15 men on a footy field completely and deeply understand what is required of them positionally, and skill-wise at every point in the game. And that is where this Irish team, I think, is leading the way for the future of rugby union. Yeah, Scotty, I, I totally agree with you. There, There's not a team, and there's certainly never been an Irish team, uh, one through 15 plus, that absolutely understands the game plan and knows not what they need to do as individuals, but the macro game plan as well. And that's very clear. And you saw when they emptied the bench, um, as it were, that the the phase and the organisational structure remained the same. That wasn't always the case for Ireland. It wasn't even this, you know, this Irish team, this iteration of the Irish team. It took a while to get going on that. But what's even more positive for me is that organisational sort of structure that was um, established, I'd say it's fair to say, by Joe Schmidt and, and the sort of revolution that he brought to Irish rugby. That has now been... Uh, advanced upon because if Ireland fall out of the structure they're very comfortable with getting into the structure again and 
if they get beyond the structure, they're very comfortable in playing off the cuff. And that offloading game that I, I spoke about, or you know, flooding a channel, um, that sort of again, the the inbuilt confidence and understanding that they're not slaves to your plan or slaves to a structure, what's which is really important and is a big advancement. That's a very difficult it's the icing on the cape, but it's a really important so icing as well. The other two things that differentiate this Irish team from any other, and there have been good other Irish teams before, but I don't think there's any Irish team that's had the skill level across the board that this team has. They are so natural in their passing. They're very comfortable. Um, they are, they're like, and I know this sounds basic, but just drawing a man and passing the ball across your body. Um, uh, you know, and not sliding off the pass, staying square. It's what you were taught from your eight, from eight years of age, but it gets gradually more difficult as you go up the levels. And there's never been a team that's had a squad this highly skilled. It's the, uh, uh, an Irish team, never. Let's just you know be clear on that across the board. There've been individual players that have been as skilled and could fit in, but across the board, no way. And then the final point, and this is the maybe the most important one is there is an ingrained confidence in this team that means that when they get through sticky um, patches that you feel that they're going to come out the other side of it and they're, they're not going to get you know, sort of blown away as many Irish teams did. There's no fragility to their, um, their, their confidence that, that, um, that we see with, with Scotland, you know, talking to themselves up before, actually being able to deliver big performances, but not when it really counts. And, and Ireland in past generations uh, fell into that. Um, and that, for me, bodes well for this New Zealand game. I've said it many times, Ireland... Before they got the victory against New Zealand, we were many, many times, if not always, beaten before we took the pitch um, because of issues we had personally, but also the, the mindset that New Zealand were in because New Zealand never rated Ireland. I don't know if they do now, but they never did. And they were probably right not to rate us because we'd never beaten us. So they were always comfortable and never panicked. And that sort of manifested in the game um, in, in in the Aviva that time when Ireland were up and New Zealand ended up scoring, went through those massive series of phases to score a try in the last minute and um, to uh, draw the game with the try and then won the game with the conversion. Um, you know, I don't think Ireland are in a different headspace than they were back then. And I really hope that New Zealand are in a slightly less confident headspace than they were back then. Scotty, from your perspective... Do you think New Zealand are easier to face, say for a team like Ireland, when New Zealand have some doubt about how they should face them? Or is it sort of a, a slightly worried New Zealand team that's thinking about the opposition, thinking about what they may face? Does that make them more dangerous, if you get my meaning? So uh, I think in previous decades, yeah. always New Zealand was just, we play our game, we win. And that was true because that's what happened. But this is the first time the last five, six years or whatever it is, they, they think... Scotland or Ireland pose threats here. We need to think about what they do too. Yeah, so I mean, I think we mentioned the last time I was with you all, I, I think New Zealand became very reactive to to Ireland. Um, uh, well, post-2016 and that first up loss and then uh, subsequently 2018, and we know the history of that tour to New Zealand. Um, I, I, I've maintained and I've written about this at length and I've spoken about it at length on various television uh, platforms and radio platforms. I think the strength of the All Blacks was always that they believed, uh, rightly or wrongly, but I think mainly rightly, that they were the innovators of the game, uh, that what they put on the field was going to be too much for most opposition teams. 
Um, and Ireland did something to New Zealand's psyche. And I know this for a fact. If, if you asked a New Zealand fan right now, none would be surprised to see Ireland win this quarterfinal. None. There would not be a single All Black fan who would think that is completely out of the blue and a massive upset. Um, I say that uh, with the utmost respect to what Ireland have been able to create because what Ireland created, more than just a game plan, more than just the structure and, and more than just the way they play, as Shane's just alluded to and as Jerry has too, uh, they created doubt uh, in what has ostensibly been the most successful rugby team in the world. Uh, why is it that the All Blacks went after Joe Schmidt? On the basis of the fact that he led a team to victory against them. Uh, it's a patently ridiculous position for a country like New Zealand with a century of success behind it to suddenly get essentially the yips uh, because they lost a game to a team they hadn't lost to in 100 years. And that changed foundationally uh, the way New Zealand has approached its rugby. They became uh, genuinely focused on what other teams were doing and less focused on what they were doing, innovatively speaking, um, and I think we have seen over the last five years, uh, maybe longer, I certainly, uh, we, we saw that team blitzed in the semi-final in, uh, in Tokyo or Yokohama uh, at the last World Cup, and that was potentially some coaching ego getting in the way. Um, we've seen this team question itself. Um, and Shane's played the All Blacks, and, and I defer to his greater sense of what that's like on the pitch. I will never have that experience. But All Black teams never doubted themselves. This team has lived in a twilight zone of doubt since 2016. It seems to me at least where that belief has been eaten away and it's been eaten away predominantly uh, by Ireland. Uh, they've still had victories over every other side, but Ireland has stung all black rugby in the most uh, profound way, I think. Um, so yeah, there'll be some heat this weekend for sure. There'll be some players out there who are looking to put uh, right to wrong in terms of their opinion of, of where All Black Rugby sits. But Ireland should never think anything differently. Uh, they profoundly changed the course of All Black Rugby in terms of going from innovators to reactors. And I think if the All Blacks are to continue to be successful, they need to go back to innovation as their first port of call, not reaction to what other sides are doing. Jerry. Joel Schmidt is obviously like a huge figure. Scotty has outlined it pretty uh, succinctly there. But like how massive is the Joel Schmidt factor here? I mean, we're we're going to probably spend the week talking about, you know, like spooking ourselves. Oh, that Joel kind of knows the knows our our passwords, you know. Um is that is that actually how it's going to be? I mean, I don't know that 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 you know that, that Irish rugby has has just kind of continued serenely uh, since Joe Schmidt left and much of what he brought in is still there. I mean, I think we've added a lot to our game since Joe Schmidt left. So should we be spooking ourselves to the extent we probably will this week thinking about what Joe knows about us? Perhaps not. But then again, it's a fascinating subplot which can't be overlooked in any way, shape or form. Um, everything that Scotty has talked about, Joe Schmidt contributed as much as that to anybody in the history of Irish rugby by um, essentially... Um, instigating a paradigm shift, a lobo mental lobotomy, if you like, in, in not only making Leinster and then Ireland comfortable as winners and as favourites and as high-achieving sides, but most of all in ending 111 years of hurt against the All Blacks. And, you know, Ireland won five out of the last eight and very nearly won a couple more. Like, it's in, in the first attempt by Ireland to beat the All Blacks 
Ireland very nearly won and have now won five of the last eight. So this is extraordinary about turn and it's largely down to him. I always remember Johnny Sexton once saying um, about Joe Schmidt and it's a great legacy. He taught us how to win. Like, that is quite a, an extraordinary legacy to leave. And I always think it's very unfair when people say, oh, that Joe Schmidt left Irish rugby exactly where he found it. He didn't. He, he left a huge legacy. And, and in many ways, what Paul O'Connell has brought back in as, as a forwards coach is as a disciple of Joe Schmidt's, because their coach-captain relationship, particularly his work at the breakdown. And there's no doubt that the Farrell attacking game has been built, and the Mike Cat attacking game has been built on the foundations left by Joe Schmidt. So then Joe Schmidt... He's going to be a bigger factor than he was last year because he was only brought in on a consultancy basis at the last minute. So his influence would not have been that profound. Scotty might correct me on that, but that's, that was my read at the time being down in New Zealand on that tour. Whereas watching the All Blacks above since then, you can see certainly in the opening game against France for New Zealand effectively to score off two strike plays, one directly and one, I think, after, after another phase. The second, using Ardi Savea as a chip. I mean, off his weaker foot, I think, as well. It was an extraordinary play, and uh, they had Joe's imprint all over them. That's where much of his genius lies as a coach, and it would be, it would be remarkable to think that he won't have a strike player or two in him this weekend, and that the All Blacks aren't, aren't skillful enough to execute them, and certainly don't that they have the finishing um, pace out wide in Will Jordan and so forth to score them. So when Shane talks about um, Ireland having this innate belief in each other, and that's true, they also have, although it wasn't particularly tested against Scotland, a next moment focus, which they showed in abundant measure down in New Zealand in all three tests when regrouping behind their lines, having conceded tries, as they showed when they fell behind against South Africa in the pool match a fortnight ago, that they it doesn't rock them, whereas it might have rocked other Irish sides. There's an unshakable belief in them. And I think they're because, in part because of Joe Schmidt's presence in the All Blacks coaching group this week, because of the, the knowledge he has, no opposition coach will ever know this team as well as Joe Schmidt does, that's for sure. It has to be a factor. Uh, Joe, I, I, sorry, Jerry, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Anybody who says um, that you know, Joe Schmidt left the Irish team where he found them doesn't know anything about rugby, that's clear. Um but uh, specifically to this game, um, you know, I, you could see uh, you could see Joe's fingerprints all over those moves that you said, you know, in, in that opening game against um, France in particular. But but right the way through this tournament, and what Joe does, along with everything else, um, is he is maybe the best in the world at analyzing an opposition team's defensive structure and creating a move specifically to break that down. Now, that is something that we were... I'm, I'm kind of excited to see it in some ways. I know it's like self-flagellation. Yeah, that's I, not, I'm, <laughs> I'm not that excited about it, to be honest. I could probably live with you at all next weekend, to be honest. Because it's kind of like, you know, he, he, we know what he's thinking and what we're doing to counteract what he's thinking. But every defensive system in the world, no matter what you employ has fragile uh, points there is no doubt he will have identified them it's just it's wonderful we've done the sort of counter analysis to sort of consider what he's going to bring and and how we uh, counteract that that's an intriguing again subplot but as to get back to my primary point he's the best of the world at analyzing and seeing where we go after and then constructing a really creative and innovative and progressive move in order to do it so a couple of things Will it, will Ireland be able to stop that? Will New Zealand be able to um, implement it? Uh, because there's you know there's one thing putting it up on a, on a chalkboard and, and saying this is what's going to happen, and if you do it, execute it right, you're going to um, 
you know you're going to score a try and then there's delivering it under the pressure um of a of a world court quarter final when everything's on the line so yeah that's intriguing this is why New Zealand still remains a huge threat and I think still marginal favorites for the game um that individual skill level of those New Zealand players is massively high their ability to to um make something out of nothing is in contrast to the way Ireland play and their execution with turnover ball is still the best in the world bar none so they bring those three components to the game and add in the Joe component as well which could score a try or two tries for example that could happen then you've got a very difficult proposition on the flip side if you um you know get into that little wrinkle that exists in their head as scotty really pointed out and we saw france do it in the opening game of the world cup the you know the level of mistakes that we never saw from an all-black team i said it to you on the, this podcast before i've never seen um all-black team make so many unforced errors not just forced errors but unforced errors drop balls as they did against france if we get them into that position that's why you know it's very possible for ireland to win the game Jerry, do you what do you most fear about New Zealand? And let's bear in mind what sort of injury issues and injury decisions we have to make over the next few days. Well, we um, we had a Zoom call with Mick Carney this morning, and it looks as if James Lowe should be fine. Mac Hansen got a bang in his calf, but they sounded optimistic about him. You'd want to be optimistic about them because, as a complete sidebar, maybe a discussion topic for another day. Day, day like James Lowe came through the New Zealand system, and Mac Hansen the Australian system, and. There isn't exactly a conveyor belt of winners lying in wait to um, replace them. You've got Keith Earls out here and Jimmy O'Brien, maybe Gary Ringo switching to the wing. And then, you know, back home, you've got, like, as well as Earlsy coming to the end now, you've got Zebo and Conway and lots of others in their 30s. The Irish system isn't producing an awful lot of Indigenous wingers at the moment. And Lowe and Hansen, with their work rate and how much improved defenders they are, it's remarkable, are very important to this team. But I presume they'll be okay. James Ryan seems to be the biggest concern. He was caught on a Media Olympic um, video grabs, apparently saying to Caelan Doris at the end of the match that he, I think I'd broken my hand. But they're, they were saying they're more optimistic now about James Ryan now than they were immediately after the game. So it looks like they'll have a reasonably good injury profile going into this match. Um, my concerns about this game would be that, I suppose most of all, that the All Blacks can just score out of nowhere. You know, that's what they do. I don't think... I remember being on this programme once with Scotty before. I think for some time now, they've, st- they've stopped learning how to dominate games like they used to do in the All Blacks, how to really construct wins by being a superior force in all facets of the game over prolonged periods of time, like All Black sides of yore. They bought into their own myth or mystique and their ability to score from anywhere and anytime, any place on a pitch, which, as Shane says, they still retain... An ability to do that is better than anybody else in the world game. So I guess that's would be my biggest fear. Their their capacity to score tries out of nothing, as well as in off direct set plays that we spoke about with Joe Schmidt. And that means like I'm looking through the records and since that New Zealand tour, um Ireland conceded I think it was four or five tries in the first test, five I think, three in the second, three in the third. And in the ensuing 15 tests, all of which Ireland have won, no side has ever scored three tries against Ireland. Scotland have scored two, Italy have scored two, would you believe, a couple of times. South Africa scored two. And I think that's it. Otherwise, Ireland have only conceded one try in any game they've played. But the All Blacks are just simply the most potent side they faced in that time still. 
And if they, if Ireland, if the All Blacks can score one or two tries off turnovers and one or two tries off strike plays, then Ireland could actually have a lot more of this game, but still might have to score something in the region, 25 points to win it. Shane, if Lowe and Hansen are out, how would you do the mix? And it looks like Earl's, I don't know, he's a hamstring issue as well. Like, would you be happy if Jimmy O'Brien started? Would you play Ringrose on the wing? There was even talk of Gibson Park, which would concern me defensively. But what mix would you do if Lowe and Hansen are out? Well, but you know, it's not Gibson Park. I know he had a good run at the wing, but you're, I don't think you're basing a game plan around Gibson Park going to the wing. Although he said in the interview afterwards that they'd run that scenario, which is kind of, you know, frightening, you know, frightening and, and, and sort of well done to them. Um, Gary Ringrose has been so good in this competition. I, I really wouldn't want to take him out of, out of the centre. Um, Bundyaki as well has been borderline ridiculous. Um I think it is a loss losing Henshaw because it was an embarrassment of riches. And to be able to bring a player like that in and contribute somewhere, if if anybody was flagging slightly, I think we, we've lost a little bit of a, um, a string to our bow there. Um, but, um, yeah, I wouldn't want to move Ringrose. Well, he's very capable of operating on the wing. And, and there's maybe a case to be made that he offers... You know more than the natural winger would, so you could you could look at it like that. But I wouldn't want to take him out just from both sides of the ball. He, he's too good. So sort of thoughts Can are. I interrupt you, Shay. There is no way you break up Bundy Aki and Ringrose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is no way. But that midfield is phenomenal right now on both sides of the game. Listen, you're preaching to the converted here. I would be very comfortable in Jimmy O'Brien playing on the wing as well. Would you? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I would be. Like, um, is there a slight dip um, with the with the guys that are there at the moment? Yeah, per- perhaps. I think he's been you know, really good. It's and, just you know, the idea of going from zero minutes to Will Jordan is what concerns yeah, me. Yeah, but listen, what these are concerns, uh, Simon, but... Every team has, you know, similar concerns of, of one type or the other. World Cup doesn't, there's no way you go through a World Cup without an injury. Like, just take that off the play. And we can't, and I think we do this a bit. We're kind of self-indulgent that we lose one or two and we go, oh, listen, we can't do anything. Ireland's disaster, you know, this is, you know, we're just destroyed by injuries. This is what, if we're going to win a World Cup, we're going to have to use the squad. And I actually think we've got a good squad to use. And uh, so, you know, you put O'Brien in there, I I think he'd work very well. Earlsey, we co- of course we know will perform. You know, um, outside of that, you know, you you could call people in. It gets a little bit trickier then. Um, you can you know, but um, it does feel like a you know a very very happy camp, and you think anybody coming into it is gonna is gonna enjoy it. Um, and um, you know, there may be stresses involved with that, but um, you know, I think in the, you know in the first instance they're gonna look at. Um, who can cover in the existing squad. Yeah, I, th- I think Farrell's probably going to have to work off incomplete information, make decisions earlier than he normally would, maybe leave it up more to the player than he normally would, just because of the short turnaround. And Scotty, the one thing about New Zealand is they played one game at the start, played okay in it, lost it, didn't need to win it, played three unbelievably easy, massive wins in a row since, have had a nine-day rest. Whereas Ireland, as much as they hammered <laughs> Scotland on the scoreboard, they actually looked physically quite drained at the end. I don't know if they put a huge amount of emotion into the performance, but they put a huge amount physically. And Scotland, whatever errors they make, they make you run a hell of a lot because they keep going wide, wide, wide. And the likes of Jack Cohn that were speaking after saying they felt absolutely shattered. Some of the subs even look shattered. So there is an advantage there, a nine-day rest versus Ireland playing a, a, in a physically absorbing game just a, a few days in advance. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out the science behind, you know, 
how many testing games you've had in pool play versus the rest periods versus you know a lack of rest. Ireland having that that crucial game that we all knew before the start of the tournament might be one of those games that, that Ireland really had to win. It was, uh, I mean, billed as a kind of second quarter final in some ways. They came through with flying colours, but you know Scotland ran twelve hundred metres on them. That's going to tax any team, and no matter how well you organised you are defensively, no matter how fit you are as a side. Um, you know, and you, you talk about the wing being an issue, and, and you mentioned James Ryan as well, and Locke. Can I just throw a bouquet Ian Henderson's way? I thought Ian Henderson was magnificent yeah. against Scotland. I really did. I don't know if he gets a lot of plaudits uh, on your side of, of the ocean, but, uh, you know, he's got the visage of an apprentice plumber, uh, and yet <laughs> the, the guy's as tough as teak. He just tackled and tackled and carried and hit rucks and... You know, I thought he was one of the unsung heroes of that performance against Scotland, Ian Henderson. I think you pretty well served front five. You know, and all teams now look at their schedules and they say to themselves, well, we're either going to put a little bit more heat into training just to, to uh, I guess, replicate that, that match feel. The All Blacks had that time in Leon. Remember, they had that two weeks where I think they absolutely thrashed themselves. Um, they're probably looking to come out and, and tapering out around this period and then hitting it hard again in this quarterfinal. I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't have a sports science degree. I, and I don't know if there's a, a right or a wrong. I think it all depends on the constitution of your team, what players respond to. I, I would suggest the Irish are far more conditioned to just week in, week out, tough competition uh, than all black sides are. Yes, super rugby's great fun. It's aerobically challenging, but it's not what tough like European rugby can get and like the URC can get and like the Six Nations can get. It's a very different beast. So aerobically, the All Blacks will be fine. Uh, but in terms of muscle memory, uh, the Irish will know exactly what's coming down the pipeline and uh, they will, uh, they'll be ready to roar. Could I say something very quickly in that? There are always two ways of looking at this and Warren Gatlin, for one, always maintains that a team who comes through a tougher World Cup pool into the knockout stages is better than a team that has a bit of an easy ride or a coast, relatively serene progress through the knockout stages. A classic case in point being in 2011 when they had a, a brutally tough match against South Africa, which they lost by a point, and then another brutally tough match against Samoa, which they won by 17-10 to get into the quarterfinals, whereas Ireland had a relatively comfortable progress into the quarterfinals, and we all know what happened in Wellington in 2011. I remember watching the um, All Blacks South Africa game. Okay, there were mitigating factors there, but they were well beaten. They looked scarred from that, even when they played France. That was an extraordinary match to be at. And then what France did in that second half, they, I know it was a very tight game up until about 35 minutes to go. And I know the All Blacks scored two wonderful tries and twice led. But in that last 30 minutes, there really only was one winner. Like France actually overpowered New Zealand in the last 30 minutes. Since when, yes, they've had relatively serene progress. But I don't know how many favours those matches will really have done them in terms of readying them for a quarterfinal against Ireland in what will be a very much like a home atmosphere again against them, if you know what I mean. And they'll be like an away match for them. Particularly that Italian game. But it's gone under the radar. But Italy have probably been the biggest disappointment in this tournament considering how some of the results they've had in the last two years the rugby they were playing under Kieran Crowley to miss the first up tackles they missed against the All Blacks was almost embarrassing it was almost the level of a tier 3 country in the tournament never mind tier 2 honestly I think Portugal Uruguay or Chile would have put up a better fight it was hugely disappointing and I don't th there's no way that Ireland are going to miss anything like those first up tackles that they're going to do so I think there's definitely two ways of looking at this Scotty, have New Zealand improved since the tour since our tour there because Sexton was asked about it in the presser <laughs> afterwards 
and he didn't sort of stand back from it. He said, actually, that, that's really going to stand to us this week. It really shaped us as a team. Andy Farrell wanted us to go out there and play basically the basic, the toughest tour there is, three tests in a row in New Zealand, plus the Maori games and the other games in midweek. And that us yeah. coming through that makes us feel so much better about ourselves. But at the same time, I think Ireland probably have a better defence now than we did then. But also I feel like New Zealand are better in attack and defence since then. Well, I think it's fair to say both teams have improved. And uh, so I guess you look at, well, who was on top last time? Uh, yeah, Ireland have gone on again, I think, um, in terms of, and we've covered this already in the podcast, in terms of their structure, their belief in the structure, their ability to be in the right positions at every time uh, that is required, and their ability to guide play into the channels they want play guided into. Um, it's very clever footy. Um, the All Blacks... Uh, look, they've had such an incredible, by the standards of All Black Rugby, an incredible three years, um, possibly longer. Uh, it has just been so stop-start, so false, filled with false hope. There's been false dawns. Uh, the game's been in ructions here. The, the coach has been given the ass card before the tournament even started. I mean, it, it is not a healthy base for this team to have been working off. Certainly not a base of dominance anyway. Um, But I see signs of life in that all-black team. I see signs of belief again in that all-black team. And I think it's a belief that's been missing uh, for some time. I think the all-blacks would probably admit that they've been caught between game plans. Uh, There there hasn't been that inherent trust that we're so used to watching all-black rugby, uh, certainly from this side of the ocean. you know, when you watch the All Blacks, there's been confusion. It doesn't look like they've had a plan B. Uh, sometimes it doesn't even look like they know how to play plan A. Uh, and results have reflected that. Uh, but I think as this tournament has gone on, as this team has got tighter, uh, as the big dates have approached, and, and make no bones about it, uh, this coming weekend is a big date, uh, not just for this All Black team, but for All Black rugby as a whole, uh, just as it is for Irish rugby as a whole. Um, you know, I think there is some clarity starting to emerge in this team about what it is that they do. And the New Zealand rugby DNA is very specific to New Zealand rugby. Um, the, the, the word skill level have been mentioned already on this podcast. You know, New Zealand rugby produces athletes. It produces very skillful athletes who play the game their way. They showcase skill in the game. Uh, all black teams, the best all black teams of the past, haven't necessarily been the toughest, haven't necessarily been the biggest, but they, by and large, and I, and I, I know it's a generalisation, but I think it stands, that they have been the most skillful. They know how to break a team down. They know how to strategize in game. They know where to be at the right time, and they know how to finish. And uh, so I, I have seen the, the, the green shoots emerge once more, um, no pun intended, with this all-black team over the last few weeks. And, you know, that should be seen as a positive sign from a New Zealand perspective, but also as a warning sign, I think, to the Irish fans as well. If those green shoots can grow uh, throughout this game and throughout that 80 minutes that's coming up for both sides in a massive encounter, then, you know, they will bud and, and they will flower. And, Scotty, that's why I think New Zealand are maybe still slight as I said marginal marginal favourites for this game because they could be saved by the individual I think in a way that Ireland aren't Ireland are definitely more of a collective their individuals are 
I'm not diminishing their skill level or their abilities, but they operate within that collective more so. Um, Jerry spoke about um, New Zealand's ability almost to to play possum, where nothing's going on, nothing's going on, and then boom, they've scored a try. And that can be a turnover. So uh, And a try out of nothing, just an individual bit of skill. They are, I think they have more in their game to that than, than Ireland do, that try out of nothing. So my my concern is that they can deliver maybe a sub-maximal performance and actually still win a quarter-final or a final or a, or, or, or a semi-final. Um, Ireland have to deliver a lot more, a lot closer to their maximum in order to win. And that would be the case. Um, so they've less, they've less room for overall error. You know, their, their deviation has to be higher. Well, I was going to say, I, I can assure you right now that here with the bookmakers in New Zealand, uh, Ireland are the favourites, not the All Blacks. Um, and, you know, that's a mark of the respect that the fans here have for what Ireland have been able to do against the All Blacks over the last uh, four years or so, certainly over the recent test matches. Uh, but also, I think it takes into account the fact that, as you mentioned at the start of the podcast and, and all of you did, look, look at the crowd. This is going to be a hostile environment uh, for the All Blacks. And as you boys well know, and all the gals out there listening to this podcast too, every neutral in the world is going to want Ireland to win this game. And uh, that is a M- fact. Maybe not uh, in Scotland. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, was just thinking, I was just thinking the Scots. But, you know, I said neutrals, Jerry. The Scots aren't neutral. Let's be honest. They never have been. Um, look, I, you know, this is a huge, huge test of character for the All Blacks. But no, look, and, and you know, it takes me back to the, our pre-World Cup podcast, boys, where you guys were all worried about Ireland's fortunes. And, and, and I just, I sense the fear is starting to set in again here as this podcast has gone on. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about your mental well-being. Yeah. I'm worried about your state of mind. I'm worried about your spiritual health. Um, if not now with the confidence, then well, when? Our, our nation's when? therapist is Andy Farrell. And same as you, Jerry. <laughs> every press conference I go to, even the one after the match, you know, so many injury concerns afterwards. You're facing New Zealand, short turnaround, all the rest. And he just exudes sort of confidence and calm. And, you know, he's he's got this combination of being obsessed by rugby and results and sport and all the rest of it. And also sort of seeing the bigger picture. He's talking about family and fans and all the rest of it. He sort of combines those two things that so many head coaches don't seem to be able to do. Yeah, it's called emotional intelligence as much as rugby knowledge. And he has them both in bucket loads, doesn't he? Um, we're Ireland, Irish rugby and Irish sport um, and Ireland in general is just so lucky to have him. Never thought of him like that. It's a good description. A nation's therapist. He exudes calmness and, and, and authority. And I think it's often said a team reflects their their manager or their head coach. And in that sense, this team exudes a certain calmness and self-assurance about them as, as in calmness about them and confidence about them and in each other. And I agree with Scotty. I think that uh, I think Ireland are entitled to be favourites. I know it sounds incredible. I know we're going to have plenty of talk of glass ceilings this week and Ireland never having gone beyond the quarterfinal stages. And if Ireland lose to the All Blacks in a thriller on Saturday, on Saturday night, it will still be another quarterfinal exit and no doubt there will be an anti-rugby lobby out there waiting to pour in and say, oh, typical Ireland, another quarterfinal exit. But Ireland have won a series down in New Zealand. They have won 17 matches in a row. They have been the number one side for over a year. It will, as Scotty said, be akin to a home match. In fact, as you said, Simon, probably better than many a home match. Although, in fairness, the Aviva is always rocking for a visit from the All Blacks more than any other team. I think that's partly because 
partly because the hacker ensures that everybody's seated well before kickoff, whereas otherwise they would be piling in still around. They're getting better. They're getting better in the Aviva. But it was always the All Blacks game. And I always felt that anybody who criticised the hacker, I just thought, no, hacker, anything that gets an Irish crowd seated 15 minutes before kickoff should be kept at all costs. But this crowd are in there like way, way, way in advance as... Simon says they're a different demographic. They take great pride in being Irish in the day. They wear the colours. They sing the songs. They're 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 crowded around Saint Denis from like three hours before kickoff. It's quite extraordinary, and they have become a sixteenth man. They've become a phenomenon in their own right, and this is why I think that Ireland are entitled to be slight favourites, if only slight favourites, against the All Blacks, which sounds incredible, but you know we have to accept what this team has achieved over the last while. We'll turn up, Jerry, essentially, which we haven't done yeah. in a lot of quarterfinals. Absolutely, absolutely. Like if you think of, I think like in 2011, we slightly underrated Wales for sure. That was a fine Welsh team. Maybe the best Welsh team that ever went to World Cup. When you think of Mike Williams and Shane Williams, Mike Phillips rather than Shane Williams and Alan jones and, and Sam Warburton and all those players at their peak. That was a great Welsh team who, if it hadn't been for Warburton's red card in the semi-final, given how the All Blacks choked in the final under the pressure of trying to finally win a World Cup for the first time since the inaugural tournament, might well have been Wales's year. It really might have been. That's how good that Welsh team was. 2019, there's no doubt, that was a good team playing badly. That was a good Irish team playing badly, beaten by Japan and beaten out the gate by the All Blacks. Like, so many missed penalties to touch, knock-ons, just, yeah. All not helped by the clash of heads between, was it Henshaw and Ringrose and Bolt going off and the backline being completely re- reconfigurated for 10 minutes which, which time I think the All Blacks scored two of their tries but it wasn't the contest it was, a, it was a very hard watch from a long way out that was a good Irish team playing badly this is a better Irish team playing very well which by the same token also would make it very disappointing if it was because as Shane has said and as Scotty has said if not now then when it, and that's that's very true Jerry given the fact that I've changed my mind about eight times since we started talking <laughs> it seems a little premature to ask you for a prediction but I mean if I was to say at this juncture on Monday how are you feeling and I know you're allowed to change your mind injuries uh, and other in three yeah. different ways yeah injuries obviously and the lineups will be key um, and what Scotty I was a hugely respect Scotty's view, and I'm not just saying that because I think he's very balanced. He's a lot of there can be a few one-eyed pundits in New Zealand, and certainly an awful lot of one-eyed fans. But Scotty has always had a very balanced outlook, um, and very sympathetic to Ireland and Irish rugby, and a genuine fondness for it, and has a very holistic global view of the game. But it worries me that he says that you know the All Blacks are in a far better place, as I suppose they would have to be, and that's what I mean about you. Because you could look at it both ways that they've had such different paths to this quarterfinal meeting. Um, and I hugely respect the threat posed by Joe Schmidt and the All Blacks. And I do believe that Ireland might have to score 25 odd points to win this game. But if you uh, held a gun to my head now, I do think, if not now, then, then when, I do think this this Irish team is prized, primed to go where no Irish team has gone before. And don't forget, of course, there's a huge prize at stake, not only a semi-final six nights later on a Friday night in Saint Denis, but also against the winners of Wales-Argentina. And then whoever wins on Saturday night will definitely be favourites on the following Friday. Now that's called getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> I did say whoever won. I didn't say it was going to be Ireland. It said for the All Blacks or Ireland, whoever win, they will be undoubtedly be favourites against the winners of the Wales-Argentina quarterfinal. And the same is true the other half of the draw when on Sunday night France or South Africa will be favourites against England or Fiji. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Scotty, you're leaning New Zealand, aren't you, Scotty? Uh, well, I mean, I I hate pickets because that's not what this podcast is about, boys. Um, look, I, again, I, I've seen enough 
green shoots from this New Zealand side to know that uh, if they play to their potential, uh, they they can very much win this quarterfinal. They have history on their side. Um, Ireland have a great weight of World Cup history against them. And I know this Irish side is different. I know this iteration of the Ireland team, you know, might not be buried down in that history, but it still plays a part. It will be brought up ad nauseum throughout the week. Um, I think team selections are going to be crucial. I think the way the All Blacks go in terms of who they pick to start and, and in some very big positions as well. I think who they pick to start at lock and six. I think who they pick to start at centre, whether that be Ioane or Anton Leonard-Brown, I think that is a crucial, crucial call for this All Black side. Um, you, you know, look, that's that's going to have a say. Um, the All Blacks, and, and look, they don't go into this game as favourites. They don't. And, you know, I'm the first to say that they shouldn't be. Um, well, I'm the second on this podcast because Jerry's <laughs> just pointed it out. Ireland deserve the right to be favourites. They are the number one ranked team in the world. Little old Ireland, as Andy Farrell mentioned. Little old <laughs> Ireland, uh, that tiny, tiny isle uh, in the middle of the North Atlantic you know, versus New Zealand, that populous <laughs> continent out in the South Pacific. Um, you know, look, I, I think it's a great battle. Um, it's the greatest rivalry in modern rugby history. Uh, you can't, to me, you can't go past South Africa, New Zealand in terms of the history of, of the sport of rugby and, and all those epic and titanic clashes that those two sides have had. But Ireland have done something to upend the paradigm of global rugby. And I admire them for that. Uh, they deserve to be favourites going into this game. Uh, but yes, I, I would caution and um, I would say is the caveat. Uh, I think if this all-black side... Uh, really does get into their groove against Ireland and really plays to their potential, which is slightly different. They have a broader stroke than this Ireland team have. Um, then the All Blacks can still do some damage. So, look, I hate being a bob each way because I know that's not what you've invited me on here to say, uh, but I, I, I have to. I'm a, I am a bob each way in this game. Um, whichever team manages to uh, imprint their game plan, uh, and and their their spirit on the game wins this game. It is so close and too close to call for me. Yeah, uh, but just what a privilege to be uh, living through a week like this. It's gonna be it's gonna be yeah. brilliant. And that's just the week, let alone the let alone the match. So listen, Shane, Jerry, thanks, Melina, and Scotty. Enjoy the week down there. And you know, hey, maybe we'll have a chat on Monday. Uh, but uh, keep your phone on Saturday night just in case. <laughs> Yeah, you know, as you know, and, and you know, it's so lovely to catch up with Jerry. I, I miss him to bits and um, one of the great tourists and uh, one of the great journalists in all of Rugby Union. Um, you know, I'd certainly love to be with Jerry um, sharing a red wine and, and indulging in France right now. But, you know, I wish you guys all the best. I, I think this has just been such a fabulous time for Irish rugby and that one team, and it always it lives with me, the one team that unites that nation. Um, and I think that is so special um, to have one Ireland at a Rugby World Cup. And, you know, I should, I, sh I should say that should never be lost on Irish sports fans. That is something truly unique and beautiful. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
who have beaten New Zealand to close out the series. I'll repeat it in case you didn't hear it the first time. Ireland have beaten New Zealand on a clear scoreline of Ireland 32, New Zealand 22. New Zealand belongs to Ireland. Okay, we're almost done here. Uh, we'll have plenty of chat uh, during the week, not just about Ireland, New Zealand, the teams will be named during the week. There's also South Africa, France, uh, England, Fiji. DuPont has been cleared to train. Yes, I saw that fully cleared, so he'll be absolutely fine. So tons of uh, talk on the World Service about... Uh, Rassi's on Twitter, France. big time. <laughs> oh my God, he's, the last week was ridiculous. He j- like, he just loves it. Mm. You know, you got to just, you got to admire it. Uh, World Service member Tony Summers has been in touch with a translation of the last paragraph of Lakeep's match report from Saturday night just to finish no great conquest is without its challenges but the Irish team are not likely to feel alone when facing them there were 60,000 of them in Paris yesterday evening and to be here like this with a green jersey and a green heart you must have the culture of sport of your native land and of travel the fighting spirit and magnificent songs to last the night even if it means you miss the last metro this is about the only thing the Irish have risked missing since the start of this World Cup a lot of mutual respect there. Didn't know Roy Curtis was writing for Le Keep for the World Cup, but uh, that's good to know. <laughs> Translated into one language at least. The green, uh, the green heart always reminds me of Larry Goodman. Ugly <laughs> 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 image. Yeah, we don't need that. That's uh, pretty much it. Ken, thank you for your efforts. Today. Thank really you. Really strange references. Thank you, yeah. Simon. I can I say, by the way, because mm. you never asked me, I really well. did enjoy the performance of the rugby players. Oh, did you? You? And I and I'd like to I'd like to point out that I was the first one who pointed out they're going to win the the World Cup. Yeah. So I saw Shane Horgan was clambering. That's on just you were a bit of a negative Nelly at the start of the show. So hey. so you're trying to reclaim some of that. No, and I, you feel bad about what you said at the start of the show. No, do you? no, I don't. I don't feel, I don't feel bad. I mean, I'm just I'm just speaking the truth. You know, it's not. Mm. I, I I just have a responsibility to say the truth as I see it. Like Caelan Doris, you're just unburdened by all of the failures of the past, Ken, and I I, I appreciate that. So thank Do you, you think past World Cups matter no. for Ireland? No. Not a factor? No, I don't think so. Well, why would they be? Well, just everything that's happened in Irish rugby. The players history. can't even remember <laughs> past World Cups. I mean, you know, okay, okay, like it's the, you know, eternal sunshine in the spotless mind. Mm. Who, who of them, I mean, Sexton probably remembers some World Cups. Yeah, he's played in three of them before this but, one. But, you so. know, I, I kind of feel like he's he's probably thinking, yeah, you know, I'm feeling good about it. Oldest player ever to play for Ireland, of course. <laughs> Sets a new record every week. Are you on the Irish rugby Wikipedia page? I was, more at generally, the, uh, I was looking at uh, the youngest players to play achi- for Ireland. You're in the notable achievements part of the Irish rugby part of the Wikipedia page. The youngest players to play for Ireland. Um, Gordon it's, it's a pretty long ago group. Seems yeah. like it's not as easy for a 17-year-old to play test rugby as it used to be. That is correct. You're, that's absolute, I mean, you can talk all you like about the Leinster Senior Cup and what a preparation it is for, uh, uh, for international rugby. You're not going to play both of them simultaneously, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say right off the bat, that's not something that's going to happen. No. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Ken, thank you. Thank you, Kieran. Simon, thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, thank Murph. You, Simon. We'll be back on the World Service tomorrow, so if you want to sign up, you'll get the shows ad-free and without interruption. And remember, the Second Captain's podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. It's a blizzard when they're out there. Fire on the pill. We're in the corners. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never got home. They never got home. They never got home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.